Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to that Gabby Roslin podcast. In this episode, I loved chatting to the wonderfully wise Fern Cotton. What an inspiration she is. We talk about how much she's enjoying her new career direction through her podcast and her Happy Place Festival, of course, also the name of her fantastic podcast. And also she talks about the importance of living a simpler, quieter life. We reminisce about Top of the Pops, her love of live and kicking and getting her first presenting job at the Disney Club aged only 15. She also tells me how she met her husband, musician Jesse Wood, on a night out in Ibiza. We talk about her gorgeous sister-in-law, artist and designer Leah Wood. Actually, we talk about everything. I completely fell for Fern. What an inspiring, lovely, lovely girl she is. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Fern. Hi, Gabby. Hello, my darling. Oh, that's so clear. Well, I've just literally finished my radio show in the same setup under my little duvet den that I've created in my stepson's bedroom. So, um, should all sound good. How are you making the duvet? I mean, how are you making the den? How are you making a duvet? Yeah. So annoying. So, luckily, my stepson's just gone to uni. So, I know, I've I overtaken his whole room. So, I've got a desk. With This is ridiculous. A desk with a laundry basket on top with a duvet that goes from there to a chair that I then use as a desk as I put my laptop on that and sit on the floor. So I'm completely surrounded by duvets. It's really good for radio. It sounds like a little studio setup, but... Because I don't think anything's going to really change anytime soon, I'm in the middle of building a little studio at the end of the garden because I don't oh, know how much longer idea. I can keep doing this. So, um, And my husband can use it too then, so we're just going to get that sorted. So is that a shed or is yeah. it a studio? Oh, okay. It will be a glorified shed with, um, you know, I'll make it look all sort of Nordic and pretty inside and then have a little studio set up. So, yeah, it's going to be nice. I've got to the stage now where I've got... I didn't know I had so many fake furs. I'm very anti-real fur. Won't go there. So sure. I've got all my fake furs around. I'm just looking. And my daughter's duvet. And she always says, why do you use mine? And I said, I don't know. I just have done. And that's what I'm going to carry on doing. <laughs> it works. It works. It, it really does. Works. When you said goodbye to your stepson, it's a strange feeling. Oh, oh my goodness God. me. I did it last year. Oh, my God. What Son or daughter? Who daughter. Went? My eldest daughter. daughter. Yeah. It's really weird because... You know, you 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 have a a feeling that that moment's coming, and 
we were sort of a bit in denial about it and it's just really weird him not being around and and also because he's now got this sort of life without us and he's got his new mates and he's in his halls and he's doing his own thing even when we text he sort of doesn't text back for ages and it's like oh my god he's really gone off into the big wide world without us but yeah I don't know what's going on because of all the ridiculousness and he's up north I don't know he might even come back so um we're just trying to suss that out at the moment I have to say I do that's who I feel most sorry for for the there's sort of two age groups of kids I know you've got little little ones but I think there's I think the little ones I worry about the sort of six seven eight year olds Mm. and then I worry about the 16 to 20 and I'm pleased that my eldest started uni last year so at least she's gone back to a house exactly she's formed those friendships and relationships but as a as a newbie at uni god it's tough it is I just feel like that generation have been failed somewhat because it's you know it's a rite of passage that they would go and have this amazing liberation and freedom and sort of decadent hedonistic couple of weeks and then start their journey into adulthood and it just feels like that's been really stripped away from them and it's just and also what happens next you know this is about their future and their careers and the path they're going to take and it it I just feel really sorry for that generation and I hope that we can support them going forward in new ways and find you know something to give them some security it's I mean there's lots of people obviously struggling with that at the moment but I really feel that generation have missed out on so so much it's horrible do you look are you somebody that looks to the future or do you look in the past or are you are you I know you love that book as well the power of now I love a bit of Eckhart you know what I I definitely always try to be in the moment throughout the day as much as I can but I guess the thing that's brought me the most pain has been looking at the past. I think if I look forward, I can still be very optimistic and and excited about the unknown. I find that always an extraordinary concept and something that I I like thinking about. But I think if I focus too much on the bits of my past, like everybody has, that we we don't like thinking about, that that I still don't always find peace with. So I think staying in the now is imperative for our sanity really and that's not to disregard what happened in the past I don't think it's as simple as pushing it to one side but I think finding peace with what's been and also being able to look forward without dread that's what yeah. we're all aiming for I think but it's much easier said than done of course and there's so many people that, that actually don't feel like that and and I get so many and I know you do as well but I get so many people contacting me through social media just saying I feel crap today and mm. I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow, but I'm scared of tomorrow. Uh, I mean, your Happy Place podcast is fantastic. I mean, you're an Thank old you. hand at this podcast, Lark, and you're brilliant <laughs> at it. But it, but all of those things, I th- suddenly realised the power of, of words. And I always have. I've only ever wanted to do this my whole life. And suddenly you realise that people want to listen. They want to learn. They want to... They want a hand to hold. They want somebody to listen to them. And and you've been doing this since you were 15. 15. I know. I know. I know. It's terrifying. I'm 40 next year. So you go, wow, that is actually a very long time to have been doing. But 15. I gosh. know. I know. But I feel it's strange because from 15 until probably 29, 30, I really was doing the same thing. And I had the same goals, the same um, aspirations and 
I really felt like I was on some sort of linear path to God knows where. And then for the last sort of, well, maybe not even eight, nine years, maybe less than that, maybe sort of five years, I've changed my whole career and outlook on it. And with that, where I want to head and what I want to achieve and what makes me tick. So I feel like, although I started work very, very young, I feel like I'm back on the first rung of the ladder in the best possible way. Oh, wow. And I'm... I'm really in an explorative era where I could go off in any direction. I'm not even sure where I'm headed yet, but I'm really enjoying the newness of it and learning again. You know, I'm I'm back to square one with, you know, talking about a subject matter that's newer to me and something I'm deeply passionate about. And you can never stop learning about life, which is all happy place really is, is just discussing life and our coping mechanisms and our thought processes and you can never stop learning there's always another amazing philosopher or world thinker to talk to so I feel really excited again which is a joy that this is sort of chapter two now and it's um it's really I feel it's a privilege to be in the position of starting again at a later point in life but also, Happy Place has led you to do your, your festival and mutual friends of ours um, uh, were involved in that and they loved being a part of it. Mm. And it's, it's about you wanting to spread that, that, whole, that goodness and that way of life. And it yeah. feels that you're being very inclusive and you're being really... It's like you want to take your arms around everybody and go, come on, come on, we'll just do, yeah, we'll do well, this together. I think it goes back to what you just said a moment ago about you know, I, I also do have interesting conversations with lots of people who might contact me on social media or stop me in the street. And I think one of the biggest things is people just want to be seen and heard and not in a way where they want glory or power. They just want to be understood and they want to know that it's going to be OK. And I feel the same really often. You know, I just want someone to say to me, don't worry, it's all going to be all right. And I think that's all we ever really want. And um, there's a strange new movement in the modern world in the western world which is this thing called wellness and I sometimes get sort of lumped in the wellness category and I I never feel completely comfortable with it because I don't necessarily align to what that means in the modern world which is a sort of very shiny new yoga leggings green juice kind of thing and for me it's not that you know I'm from a working class background and I didn't know about any of this until I had my own sort of experiences of feeling awful and I really do believe that if I'm going to use the word wellness it needs to be for everybody and and not just about being you know doing yoga being able to do a handstand or whatever it's about simply feeling okay and finding a few coping mechanisms, whatever they are, and they'll always be free. It will be found in nature or found in changing your habits or whatever. It's not about having to do a meditation course or knowing what chia seeds are. It's about finding everyday coping mechanisms that will be free and there for you to tap into if you want and to talk to everybody about that. So yeah, I think because I've been sort of lumped in that category, it's made me feel deeply passionate about wanting to ensure that we use the word wellness appropriately and for everybody, because that's, of course, it's there for everybody. And it's not something that you have to pay for or whatever. It's just all about learning new techniques and learning new ways of thinking about things. 
It's very interesting. One of the things that I'm very passionate, no, two things I'm passionate about, kindness, spreading kindness and mm. laughing. And uh, when people talk about you, and we have lots of mutual friends, and they adore you. Aww. I mean, they absolutely adore you. And they'd say, you're so kind, and you're also completely mad, and you love a giggle. And to <laughs> me, that is the perfect mix of the perfect. Per- and I know there's no such thing as perfect, but I'm going to just use that word for now. It's just the, a delicious, there we are, a delicious mix of the of the person that that should be around everybody and that's what they all say about you without fail it's so nice to hear you know I have my life these days is is smaller and simpler and it's you know I've got the people in my life that I absolutely adore and it's not a huge group of people I don't go out partying I don't have a sort of vibrant social life I'm a real hermit and a homebody but the people that I love accept that fully and don't mind at all and I get to do really homely things with those friends and a lot of them are are really you know similarly minded and you know I I try my best to be um, a decent friend in you know in the way I guess of just sort of listening and and talking to them and and having really lovely conversations because I know that my life isn't the same as it was in my 20s perhaps where I could go out all the time and I had no responsibilities and I would you know be going to music gigs or going out for dinner or whatever and I you know I've I think certainly as you get older but also when you start a family you really have to look at your priorities more than ever and for me my main priorities are really simple and it's family and it's work because they're the two things that I adore and that I want to put everything into and that's not to disregard my friendships they're so so important but they have to sort of fit into my new life because I'm not the same person I was in my 20s so now it is about having Sunday lunches at our house or taking the kids to the park with some friends or you know just things that are small and cozy rather than it being you know outlandish behavior in nightclubs or whatever it's changed a lot so yeah, I'm glad that most of my friends have been very patient with that sort of lifestyle change and also just how I've changed as a person over the years that I, for my sanity, need a much calmer, sort of simpler existence. And um, I feel very lucky to have the friends in my life that I have. They're bloody amazing. Well, they think you are, so there we go. They oh. really do. And you know the ones I'm talking about. I you absolutely do. do. <laughs> I so love those people. What about... Uh, and, OK, so we're going back to work. So you do the radio, you're doing Happy Place, you're doing the festival, you've got your paints, you've got your food, you've got your 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 clothing, your homeware. I mean, you're this incredible... Um, being now who does all of these things but can we just go back to basics and top of the pops i'm really sorry but there's mm-hmm. something that i love top of the pops i still do every thursday night when i was a child before you were born i knew that i had to sit there in front of the telly yeah. i wouldn't go on the sofa i sat as close as i could to the telly i was there i was in it i was lucky to present it once with jamie theakston you then became the face of top of the pops is it still happening? What's happening? I mean, I don't to me, know. oh, please, more top of the pops. God, you know what? I've so I I was so I, mean, I was so lucky. I started doing regular top of the pops when I was about nineteen, and at that point, Gosh. there was a producer called Chris Cowie who was very rock and roll and Loved cool, him. and he was awesome. And it felt like a party, and I was sort of 
excited slash terrified because it felt like, oh, I'm with the grown-ups now. I'm playing with the grown-ups <laughs> and this is really mad. And we would do the show and it would be so high-octane and chaotic and wonderful. And then you would go backstage and everybody would hang out. It was like you would have imagined. it Back in the day, it was... You know, you turn one way and there's Simon Le Bon and turn over the other shoulder and Mariah Carey's there. And it was just bonkers. And it was so <laughs> magical. And I think back to that era a lot. And then I did it on off for years. And then that morphed into doing the Christmas show, which we still do. I went through a real period in my late 20s after the show had finished because I think it finished when I was about 23 24 bad and decision. I, bad I decision. saw I know I sort of campaigned like please can we bring it back like why is there no decent music tv obviously there's brilliant Jules Holland and stuff but we need more sort of just mainstream music tv and again yes. and again I've just been told it's not wanted or whatever and I just don't understand it and I know times change and things move on but I do feel quite bereft over that one still it was such a beautiful era of music television and and feeling you know even before I was presenting it when I was at home watching it and studying it you know again like you it was such a big part of my week and something that I would never miss and it was really special as a music fan to have that experience of watching all these different bands perform and and be in that environment and it, I do still feel it's a huge shame but I just don't I don't see how it, it could come back after all these years. Both of us uh, Saturday morning telly and I did it for yeah. years and you did it and Saturday morning telly is not what it used to be it's all cookery shows and that's great cookery shows and I you know I'm not ever going to uh, say anything negative about any of those people or any of those shows but Saturday morning telly was just another rite of passage and it was, oh, it was so you know good. adults could have the hangovers kids yeah. could watch it and they knew that they were safe watching it but it was a bit risque yeah. I loved presenting Saturday morning telly. Oh, and it was so amazing. It, it's the best thing. That should be back. I think, and everybody, because it's all ages, everybody just needs some anarchic TV. Everything's a little mm. safe. I know, I know. And I think there was that beauty of knowing that you were watching it with loads of other people at the same time. It felt like an event every yeah. Saturday. And yeah. because it was live, you didn't know what was going to happen. And everyone was on it. It was so exciting. And, and again, before I started hosting like Disney Club and Dig It and those shows in my early um, sort of mid-teens. Before that, I would never miss an episode of Live and Kicking. I was so dedicated. I would sit there from after the cartoon, The Raccoons finished, right through until midday. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what my mum and dad were doing, but they didn't ask me to stop watching TV. I would sit there for five hours without moving and just love every minute. And it is a shame, but it's weird because, you know, I watch how my stepchildren and my own kids... Um, imbibe tv now and it's so it's such a different experience because they go onto netflix they pick whatever show they were watching the night before and and it, and it is sort of less event led it's just oh i like this show and they watch the same thing again and again so that sort of desire has gone you know and even my kids now if they're watching something in real time which is very rare they go mum make the adverts go away and i'm like i, yes. I can't yes. you're watching the telly and they don't understand they've got no concept of live TV, it's all about on demand and skipping the title intro, whatever. And I don't know, I think, you know, it's just everything's moved on so much that they, I'm not sure they would even understand what that would mean to have a live Saturday morning TV show. But it, it is such a shame because there, there was such excitement around, oh my God, school's out on a Friday tomorrow. There I am with Zoe and Jamie or 
Philip and Emma, whoever was hosting at the time, and you just felt part of it. And it was just a beautiful thing. I think there is a lovely feeling of everybody coming together. When the Queen's speech happened in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody sat down to watch it. I know. I know. Wasn't that a moment? That was It really was. And yeah, I think those moments, maybe they are more special now because they're few and far between. Um, Because we really, we don't have those moments. And, you know, my two, my kids are five and seven, my my younger two, and they go to bed quite early. So I don't keep them up to watch stuff like Britain's Got Talent. or So they don't even have any concept of what those shows are because I put them to bed at half seven. So they don't, they don't really know. But I'm sure down the line, maybe we'll get back into watching stuff like that as a family. You know, we have movie night every now and again where we'll Lovely. pick a movie and watch it together. But yeah, that sort of event thing's gone. And, and it also, for me, you know, growing up, I was such a big breakfast fan and I would watch you and Chris and just be just completely obsessed with what was going on. And there I would be sort of sat in my, you know, awful blue and grey school uniform thinking, I don't want to walk 40 minutes in the pissing rain to go to school I want to be with these guys having fun (laughs) doing these crazy things at seven eight in the morning and looning around and you know with all these amazing guests that you'd have on like on on a Monday morning on the TV it was just it was all so brilliant to watch and be part of and it did drag you out of like for me a sort of working class suburban experience into like oh my god I'm I'm in this cool gang who hang out with cool people and do crazy things and you did just feel like you were part of it it was amazing anarchic telly bring it back it needs to happen you're now am i right that your dad was a sign writer and he did stuff for live aid yeah so my dad only retired um last year actually he's the most amazing man so he had been a sign writer pretty much his whole life he had a few eras where he he was a milkman for a bit or whatever but sign writing was really his whole life and um and he was amazing at it so he up until last year he had a workshop within the Wembley estate and he would do all the sign writing for Wembley Stadium Wembley Arena all through the years so he did that forever he did all of their signs so Back in the day, if there was a big concert on, and it was all hand-painted back then, or he'd print out the pictures of the band and then hand-write the sign, and he'd climb up on top, and I'd I'd get to go down and visit him and watch him do all these cool things. And so he he did wheel out this story a little while back when I was doing Live 8, and he said, right, well, when Live Aid was on, I was a tiny kid, and he'd done all the signs for it, so... They'd, the Wembley guys had said, look, why don't you come down and, and watch the show? So he and my mum went down and I was left with my nan. And apparently I kicked off in a major way at my nan's house. <laughs> and she rang and said, you have to come and get her. I can't deal with this. And they had to leave Live Aid. And uh, they watched, I think, like two bands and then had to go home. So no. really awful for my parents. But yeah, he's he's an amazing guy and he's he's beautifully artistic still now. And he makes signs for fun and also he paints a lot beautiful pictures of flowers and landscapes and it's kind of where I get my arty side from so yeah he's because you do all that as well that your artwork are you going to do more of that because when you post some of those things it blows my mind I mean you are so talented it's something that I just need more time to do because a you've got to really be in the right headspace and mind to do it and also if I'm going to do say a portrait I need at least a whole day clear where I have no other work obligations the kids are at school my husband could do the school run so I can really get into it and I get into this beautiful flow where 
time doesn't exist and no worries are present in my head. And it's so amazing. But I think, you know, up until this year, Honey was at home because she was tiny, but she's at school now. But then work's just been, luckily this year, very busy because I know many people haven't had that luxury. And I feel very, very lucky that I've managed to keep working throughout. And I just haven't had the space to do it. But I, I love it so much. And I think... The older I get and hopefully the more time I have because I'm only trying to do things I really, really want to do, that I'll be able to combine my work with other passions like that, like art and sketching and painting and just also do it for me for fun. But I haven't I haven't stumbled across those days yet. Hopefully they're they're in the near future. But it's, it's something that I enjoy massively. Are your parents super supportive? I mean, you speak so beautifully of them, but are they yeah. super supportive of, of you going into telly at 15? Were they supportive oh, yeah. and are they? I mean, they're very, um, they're very chilled out in a, in, in a sort of sense that they would never have forced me to go down any route I didn't want to. Same with my brother. Um, so, you know, my mum was working four jobs at the time when I was a teenager. She was an orthodontist nurse. She was cleaning people's houses. She was delivering clothes packages. She was just, it was nonstop. And I think for her to see, you know, my dad was obviously sign writing at the time. And I think for my mum to see that I A, had a passion and and also this career path was weirdly opening up to, you know, me, this sort of random school kid from the suburbs, that she just thought, bloody hell, go for it, you know, go for it and make this your thing. So my nan took me to a lot of the auditions back in the day because my mum would have been at work and she just let me crack on with it. And, you know, I missed a hell of a lot of school. Um, I missed a lot of GCSEs and important exams. But my <laughs> mum, luckily, was just always like, just do what you want to do. Like, life is short. Go for it. Do the most exciting Wonderful. thing possible. Like, my mum's a bit of an excitement junkie. So she was like, just go for it, you know, enjoy it and let it be crazy and whatever. So, yeah, they've they they've both been very supportive over the years and and proud, but not in a sort of overtly sycophantic way they're very chilled like not much impresses them you know if I'm to say I'm working with so and so whatever they're like okay cool anyway we've just been to the gardening center or whatever they're up to so it's a good combination of being proud but not blowing smoke up my ass so it's yeah it's good but didn't you you get your first job through winning a competition yeah so it was it was a strange one because this was before the sort of the birth of reality TV and I went to a ton of auditions and then one audition that I went to was for the Disney Club job and it was for the role of a new presenter so I went through a regular audition process of me and loads of kids who were sort of wheeled in from all the big drama schools like Sylvia Young's whatever so I felt really paranoid because I wasn't from that background at all I went to like a a local dance club in in a church and um and then I got through the first sort of four or five rounds of regular auditioning. And then they wanted the last round of auditioning to be an on-air audition. So um, I was with two other girls and we had to do an on-air interview and uh, an on-air piece to camera. And then the audience voted for who they oh, wanted word. to be the new presenter. So it was sort of a regular audition process with a weird competition bit tagged on the end. And um, and that's, yeah, that's how it all started, strangely. 
How wonderful, though. And then, of course, Radio 1 was a big, big... I thought you were fantastic yeah. at Radio 1. I really Thank did. I, and and when you left, I think, like a lot of people... And I'm obviously older than the demographic for Radio 1, although I I always hate that, because I always say when, when somebody says, oh, the show is for what age group? I go, for everybody. Yeah, for anybody, of course it is. Whatever. Absolutely. Um, but Absolutely. Coldplay did that song when you left Radio 1. Oh, my word. <laughs> I know. I, it was so weird, because when I left, I was about five months pregnant with my daughter and seriously hormonal and weepy anyway and then all of a sudden they had the you know they had these moments I wasn't expecting I just thought I was going to do a normal show and say goodbye at the end and then you know sort of roll out and you had this like beautiful voicemail from Dave Grohl who I'm completely in love with my husband's fine with that he's accepted it (laughs) and um and you know and then Chris Martin writing this song which was called Gone but not Fern Cotton, which I thought was very yes. clever, and um, I just cried the whole show. Like my lovely friend James Bay came and did a live performance, and I just cried. I could, be- I barely spoke a word for the last show, um, and it was amazing. And it was a, I had a whole decade there, and it was, I learned a lot because obviously that was my first crack at radio and I, you know, I started on a sort of 4am shift and then moved my way through the schedule to get that beautiful music slot and um, and it was amazing and then it was just time for me to go you know I was having my second kid so that was you know then four children with my stepkids and I felt like I needed a new chapter and, I, and I, I was also really keen for somebody else to have a go at it that was you know really hungry for it and I'm so happy that Clara got the job and that she's still doing it and being brilliant now so it was it was a lovely decade but it definitely felt right to leave then I love that show it was very weepy listening to it as well um but you did you have of course married into and I you know everybody goes on about you know the rock and roll family that you married into your your sister-in-law I think is a complete and utter divine being and I love her oh, so much I love her Lyris. I was just talking to her this morning she's so funny like the voice notes that she leaves me are like she knows how to bring joy into my day she left me a ridiculously hilarious voice note this morning and um she's just amazing I absolutely love my sister-in-law I'm very lucky I don't have a a sister so we call each other sister from another mister because we just love each other she's amazing she really is I went to see one of her exhibitions of her I love her paintings I love her wildlife and and Honestly, she, it was like, I, I mean, I'd never actually met her, but I, I treat, I sort of, I practically picked her up with, along with her mother, <laughs> who I've interviewed and met and lots of times, your mother-in-law. But yeah. I, I practically picked her up and said, can, can I take you home? I just think she's <laughs> a bundle of loveliness. So please send her my love. I will. Lovely Leah. She's so amazing. She really is lovely. Um, what makes you laugh? So we ask everybody this and they always give me a very serious answer and then they realise that it's the warp things that make them laugh. So what makes you laugh? Hmm. Honestly, what makes me really laugh? I mean, if I think to more recently, it's been a bit of a crap weird year, isn't it? We've really tried to seek out laughter. And one of the ways my husband and I have really belly laughed together was watching Schitt's Creek on Netflix, which is one of the most... (laughs) brilliant bits of TV ever. We watched all six series during lockdown and I cried with laughter and I've now got my mum on to watching it. I actually forced my mum to get Netflix because she was like, I don't need Netflix. And I went, you do, <laughs> get it. And now she's so engrossed in Shit's Creek. So that that just shows again like the joy of TV and that escapism that we all need. So definitely that. And then, you know what really makes me laugh? So whenever I do 
any sort of photo shoot or anything that requires me not looking like I do right now, I have these two amazing mates, JJ and Sinead. Oh. Like, even saying their names makes JJ. me want to burst into laughter. So JJ and Sinead are two of the funniest people ever. And if it's me, JJ and Sinead, and they're both my daughter's godmothers, if we're in the same room together... We will, by the end of it, be having to, like, cross our legs because we are laughing <laughs> so much. And it's just silly shit. It's not like we... There's no sort of joke telling. It's just sort of observational ridiculousness. JJ does, like, really good, hilarious impressions of people. And Sinead's just got... She'll just give you a look and you go. So for me, if I'm in a room with those two, especially on a shoot, because we're meant to be like very well behaved and we're on a time schedule and everyone's waiting for us, we turn into sort of 14 year olds and they are friends that will be in my life forever. And honestly, they've made me laugh more than anyone. They're just the best. I love them. Well, JJ's your makeup artist, and I, I've known she JJ is. a long you know time, oh, very really? well. And oh, I, I have JJ. to say that she she's one of the people that I was thinking of uh, to oh, say that she loves love you her. so much. But when she talks love about each you, other. she beams all over her oh. face. Well, I'm the same with her, and you know, you feel so lucky to make friends, you know, later on in life. Because I I think I must have met Sinead when I was about. 19 and then JJ not till I was about 24 um because she was my makeup artist on the extra factor and we just clicked and hit it off and they're just the most beautiful people and even if I don't see them for a month or two it makes no difference we have no expectations of each other whatsoever we just go straight back to where we left off and for me that's what proper friendship is all about really it's very interesting if I was to to choose a word that you said a lot in this It's friends and friendship. It's obviously hugely important to you. It is. And I think everything that's been bubbling under perhaps before this year has sort of been pushed to the surface because we can't, we're not able to contain anything at the moment because we're all dealing with the unknown and we're all just shuffling through the day as best we can. I think in those moments you really work out what's important to you. And I've really realised... Definitely. Well, I've always known it, but the importance of friendship, but really individually looking at those friends that I love so dearly and really honouring what they bring into my life. Because I think we haven't all been able to see each other as much. And I normally have like a party in the summer in the garden with all my mates for my birthday. And we just those sorts of moments haven't happened. So I think we've been really trying to just keep in touch as we can on the phone or or seeing each other in small groups or just one-on-one. And it's so integral when you're going through stuff to have those people that you can rely on and they can rely on you. And it's magic. You know, these people aren't related to you. They're not, they're not chosen for you. They're people that just arrive in your life. And it's, there's such beauty in that, them just sort of turning up out of nowhere and bringing something really important into your world. I think it's this year I've, I've really, that's been highlighted to me greatly. How wonderful. That's so wonderful. Mm. I'm, I'm thinking of all of the people that I know that you're friends with. And actually, there's obviously Amanda Byram, who we both oh, love and adore as well. I love She's- her. What a good soul. What a good soul. And that's She's has- another one that cracks me up. She's always up for just messing about and being silly. And oh, oh she, silly she was actually... Important. Silly is really important because who needs people 
don't take yourself seriously. There's no yes. point. Nobody else does. So don't bother. It, I've, I have never done that because I've never thought I needed to be or that I was cool enough to sort of be, try to be serious. Absolutely not. Being silly is imperative. And actually, on one of my silliest nights ever, I was with Amanda in Ibiza the night I met my husband. And we've got all these pictures of us being absolute morons. I mean, we were wearing sort of... <laughs> colourful wigs and dancing around, absolutely drunk as can be and it was just one of those ridiculously silly nights I've got the most amazing photographs from it and um, yeah and that's the night I met my husband bizarre oh how lovely yeah. how did you meet then so was it we literally across the room yeah it kind of was so we had gone to Ibiza there was five of us and we went to this sort of club slash restaurant on the first night and I'd come out of a broken engagement and wasn't really up for kind of partying. But I was like, oh, it will be fun. It's with these amazing women who I love. And weirdly, another mutual friend just happened to be, uh, who, who knew all of us, was in this same bar and restaurant. She came over and was like, oh, my God, what are you doing here? She said, I'm hosting a, a table for work because she was an editor of a magazine. And I don't know anyone. Please, will you come over and just sort of say hi? Because I feel quite awkward. So I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I'll come over went over and, and he was, Jesse was on the table and I was like, maybe I'll stick around at this table a bit longer. <laughs> and, um, and then we talked all night. Jesse and I sat whilst everyone else was sort of dancing on tables and we sat and chatted until seven in the morning. <gasps> I mean, those days are long gone. I go to bed at about half nine now. But I, we just talked and talked and talked and it was incredible, like just a magical moment for sure. And you knew he was the one. Did you know there and then? I kind of think I did, yeah. I think I felt a bit terrified because I'd just come out of something, you know, a very long relationship. But equally, I was sort of ready to allow happiness back into my life. So, yeah, I think I had an inkling that it was something special. Oh, how wonderful. Also, another highlight must have been... Now, um, when I I didn't realise you did this because I've sort of passed that age. Uh, My kids were too old, but... You were one of the voices in the Teletubbies. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah, well, I still what? am. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So one of my, again, very good friends, very, very old friend, Maddie Darrell, who was the first person to hire me. She hired me for, for the Disney Club. I, I auditioned for her back when I was 15. And she's always been in my life. I don't see her as often as I used to because we've both got kids and she has a crazy busy schedule. She's one of the sort of pioneers of kids TV today and um, and always has been a real maverick in that sense. She's an amazing force. And she did the sort of the, the sort of regenerating of Teletubbies, brought it back to life, new, bigger, sort of better looking set. And she said, do you want to do, do you want to voice uh, the voice trumpets? And I was like, Okay, so I am the voice <laughs> trumpets, and then occasionally I think a talking telephone and a talking envelope. I think in a couple of episodes. Oh, so yeah, fantastic. that was that was a, a bizarre but brilliant moment. And have your kids put two and two together and realised that that's mummy? They did when they were smaller. We did watch it here and there, and they 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 did think that was quite hilarious. But I guess it's strange for them because you know they might see me on. Like they've seen me if I've been on like Lorraine or something and, you know, Jesse's shown them on the TV and, and whatnot. And then equally, if Jesse's been on any music TV shows or their granddad, you know, so they have this warped sort of sense that maybe anybody in their life could be <laughs> on, on the TV and it wouldn't be 
out of the ordinary. So I don't think they really care because it's not really anything out of the ordinary <laughs> for them. They're just like, okay, cool. Oh, there goes so, yeah, mum again. Oh, there's granddad. Oh, <laughs> yeah. look. Oh, there's somebody else. They, I mean, they, it's sort of inevitable that they're going to end up I mean, everybody always says that to me and both my daughters are sort of doing this, want to. But um, it is sort of inevitable, And but we can be realistic, can't we? We can tell them the, the good yeah. stuff and the bad stuff. No, definitely. I think if I don't really care what they end up doing, any of the four kids, you know, they, they've all got sort of, you know... Loose dreams. At the moment, Rex is dead set on being a train driver. That's his dream job. Good he wants man. to be a train yes. driver. Yep. Um, and my stepson wants to work in sort of film production. So, you know, we're, I'm easy. Whatever they want to do, great. But I think if they ever did want to go down the path of, of doing something in the public eye, that's the only bit that I would worry about. The actual job itself, you know, knock yourself out, do whatever makes you happy. But I think the being in the public eye bit is the the bit where I'd have to sit them down and, and really talk them through it because it's horrible. I don't think there are many good bits of being in the public eye. There's a, there's a beauty in having a connection to lots of people and being able to do stuff like a podcast and, and talk to, to lots of people en masse and, and have, you know, really important conversations and equally listen to, to um, opinion en masse in that way. But when it is just simply you being sort of, um, judged outwardly, you know, by people that don't know you, I, I don't see many positives. So I would have to definitely guide them through from experience um, and try and protect them from the really awful side of, of some of that. So, yeah, I, I think that's the only bit that would make me feel a bit nervous, I think. What do you, when, when you hear young people saying, uh, and you, it happens a lot, that they say, um, uh, oh, well, what, what do you want to do when you're older? And we all say it to, to young people, and it is patronising, but I, don't, I never mean it in a patronising way when I say mm. it, but it does sound a bit patronising. But what do you want to be when you're older? I want to be famous. To mm. me, that blows my mind because I don't quite think they've thought, they can see oh, you've got millions of likes on Instagram, which isn't real, obviously. You've right. got money that's not, that's not real life. That doesn't make somebody happy. Mm. Um, you know, you've got people throwing things at you but I don't know what they want to be famous for. <laughs> no, it's well, it's a horrible myth of the modern world that that is that equates anything because it doesn't. I think the only thing that can come from being simply known, and I'm taking out of the equation achievement, skill, hard work, because that's a totally separate thing. Absolutely. If it's just fame that we're looking at, it equals nothing. It equals um, perhaps feeling quite paranoid when you walk out the house. Um, perhaps being judged um, in a way that you don't deem appropriate or or you feel like you're misrepresented by a public opinion when it doesn't feel in any way representative of who you are. And if you do make any sort of mistake or you do something wrong, then it's the worst thing in the world because you've got this huge reflection back at you saying mirroring what what you feel about yourself saying you're awful you're this you're that being famous doesn't equal anything it doesn't mean that doors are going to open for you and you're going to have this you know lavish wonderful lifestyle and even that doesn't mean anything as we all know I think if you do something really well and you love it whatever that might be and then for some reason the byproduct of that is fame then fine you know you'll find a way to cope with it but the bit that you'll enjoy is the job the learning the skill the goals 
and keeping curious about something. You know, I think there's also this myth that once you reach the the pinnacle of whatever you want to do, then you're going to feel complete. Like if you're the biggest TV presenter in the world or if you're the best footballer ever or if you're the most liked influencer on the internet, then you're going to feel complete. And I think, you know, I know from experience, having hosted some big TV shows a long time ago and being on, you know, stage in front of lots of people, that is not going to negate any of the... In you know the inside struggles you might face, or the things that you might be feeling, or or outside circumstance like loss, um, you know, loss of people in your life, grieving, um, illness, uh, trauma. It's not going to get rid of any of that. So there's there's a huge myth around uh, sort of reaching a place and also fame that don't exist. Because for me, being back on the first rung of the ladder in in this new sort of career that I'm in, the joy is not knowing what's happening next and being curious to learn more. That's that's the good bit. The good bit isn't going to be, you know, in 20 years when I've reached all the goals, hopefully, that I want to reach. The good bit's now. And I just think it's a common myth that I'm passionate talking about because I sort of reached a good place in my old career with being on a big radio show and whatnot. And you don't feel any different about yourself. You've still got all the same shit going on. So you just have to do something you love. And then whatever the byproduct of that is, you know, you you cope with that. Do you know, the wonderful thing about you is, and um, take this, take this please as a compliment that is meant, that for a young woman, you have very, very wise soul. You really do. You have a very um, old head on a very young body. And long may you carry on spreading Aww. what you want to spread. No, well, I mean, I thank really do. you. I think, you know, I, I've lived a very chaotic and intense life from the age of 15, where I learned a lot of lessons the hard way. And I have experienced lots of things to the extreme. And you know that's where you learn. I'm, n- none of the stuff that happens that's negative is is sort of to be written off, or um, you've got to honour that stuff because that's that's why I'm now able to make choices that work for me, which is about living more quietly, learning to say no to things. I'm not even talking about work; I'm talking about social things or whatever, and doing what's best for you rather than what the outside noise tells us. And I'm still learning that one. I by no means crack it but but I think because it was such a strange you know uh life that I led up until my early 30s I was able to understand a a lot of um stuff around this subject because I reached really big heights of cool things but I still felt like crap so you know I I think I'm lucky that I've had those experiences good and very bad to get me to a place where I've got a little more a little more inner peace with where I'm at and a lot more curiosity about where I want to go next. Learning is the most wonderful gift that we're given. It's the best. You can never be bored. Bless you, Fern. You are a joy. Thank you, thank you, my darling. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So lovely to talk to you. You know, growing up, I used to just adore watching you on TV and it's so weird in a way to be sort of sat here being interviewed by you today. It's really wonderful. So thank you so much, Gabby. No, it's a, my pleasure. Thanks, Gabby. Thank you so much for listening. On the next episode of the podcast, the very glamorous and fabulous Tan France. 
That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Please press the subscribe button and it will come straight to your phone on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you choose to listen. Also, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.